0: Welcome to the Edible Alpha podcast series, your source for actionable insights into making money in food. I'm Tara Johnson, the Tara's way lady, and we're here to talk to a wide range of stakeholders about what it really takes to grow a financially viable food business. Hey, thanks for calling in this morning.
1: Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it
0: yeah so you are calling from the land of of rain after rain after rain, right?
1: I am uh, five inches or more each day. <laughs>
0: oh my goodness, five inches or more each day. So why don't you start by introducing yourself and and what you do?
1: So my name is Ron Williams Jr. I am a waterman and a farmer here in Maryland um, on the Chesapeake Bay and Um, what I do is aggregate, um, seafood as well as farm products, um, fruit, uh, produce and some livestock, um, from other farmers. And then we redistribute to, um, areas that are underserved as far as grocery stores or farmers markets. And so we have a subscription service that folks sign up to. Um, you can, um, get a community-supported fishery bundle. You can get a community-supported ag bundle. You can get a community-supported uh, butchery bundle. Um, basically, they are just um, product services where folks could bundle up products. Um, you know, Traditionally, um, your CSAs or your subscription services only do produce and vegetables, but we wanted to take it, take it a little bit further um, because we were serving underserved areas um, and we wanted to give them a variety of products that they could supply. So um, we've been doing that since 2014. So folks could get uh, Maryland blue crabs. They can get collard greens. They can get kale greens. They can get strawberries. They can get fresh oysters. Um,
0: oh, my God. Can you come to Wisconsin?
1: <laughs> sure. And
0: maybe a little hard, a little far. Oh, boy. That is so fantastic.
1: Yeah, and so we 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 wanted to make sure um, when we were doing this that we um, could build a model that everyone could purchase um, mm-hmm. from the platform, whether you had EBT, whether you had cash, whether you had credit, um, one-parent household, two-parent household, family household, what have you. And so mm-hmm. um, we wanted the product buy to look exactly – um, what our membership or, um, our customers wanted. So, mm-hmm. you know, we didn't learning from the food finance Institute. Um, uh, we didn't want to have stuff sitting on our shelves more than mm-hmm. and if, and if it did, how do we then approach that problem? Do we, mm-hmm. then, you know, uh, uh, take it off the shelf and then add, add value. Do we throw it away? Do we, you know, do we, mm-hmm. use it? On like, how do we, um, how do we attack that problem? So we, and we are in a sense trying to be fully a sustainable, um, model business where, um, everything that we're using, everything that we're producing is sustainable based.
0: Mm-hmm. So tell me about your shares. Can people choose what's in their boxes or do you just um, put what's available in the boxes?
1: People can choose what's in the boxes from what's available. So okay. you can choose, yeah, you can choose from the CSA, the CSB, or the CSF.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: and it depends on your dollar amount.
2: Some
1: folks mm. $25 worth of product. Some folks want $50 worth of product. Um, some want $250 worth of product. And some, some folks just want, you know, the, the, the fresh seafood that we have um, from our community-supported fishery line.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: we see those numbers because, we're, you know, we're keeping that data, we're tracking um, what our customers um, are buying, um, not just one time, um, mm-hmm. not just, you know, from looking at our website, but uh, multiple places and how we can tell like what are their like likes or what are their dislikes? Mm
0: mm-hmm. So you are um uh, you are I I guess do you call yourself a food hub?
1: We are calling ourselves a food hub now. Um, mm-hmm. after going through the Food Finance Institute. Mm-hmm. Training because yep. we- so after the Food Finance Institute training, we mm-hmm. decided to really take a deep dive look at how we approach um, from commodity to, uh, from you know, putting it on the table. How do we right. profit from um, all different areas, whether it be added value, whether it be just straight commodity,
0: mm-hmm. wholesale, retail, yeah.
1: what have you. And so we looked at what capacity did we have to mm-hmm. sort of implement this new sort of deep dive that we did. So we looked at the fact that we could do um, Maryland blue crabs. We can do oysters because we had the capacity to do that. And we have the capacity to aggregate from other farmers. If we ourselves, our, our, our brand didn't go out and get, mm-hmm. crabs, we had other folks on our network that can't. Right. Um, and so um, what we what we did was we said, um, how do we keep it on um, a supply chain that could be, I guess, ever um, constant? So, like, mm-hmm. when, when folks, um, you know, ordered or they went to the website and they said, I wanted, you know, seafood. Who mm-hmm. in our network could supply? Or did we have um, a supply within um, our house?
2: Um mm-hmm. five
1: months, um at that at that particular point in time, so um we we try to give our our customers and our subscribers as much variety as possible
2: mm-hmm. um,
1: um and and flexibility. so we started with about twenty in two thousand and fourteen, and now we're up to about four hundred and eighty nine consistent members that like we call con like converted. Actual members, so they bought from us three and four times
0: Mm -hmm.
1: in a month's time, Mm -hmm. and we have that data to track.
0: That's a that's terrific. That's incredible growth. Um, and and what is like the average order size?
1: So we have um about two items per order size. The Mm -hmm. dollar value of that order size is about fifty seven dollars. Okay. They um when they ordered the seafood option, it usually bumps the, the, the cart price up. Of um, course. Really
0: yeah, of course. Yeah. And yeah.
1: So even we can, so, the, so we deliver.
0: Yeah. So do you deliver to so drop like, sites or individual sites?
1: Individual houses and okay. sites. So we deliver directly to your door. And so what we found out was that we found... Um, that we were getting most of our customers in underserved areas like um southeast washington d c which is mm-hmm. um, you know high in cri- high in crime high in poverty
2: um, mm-hmm.
1: prince george there was an area in Prince george county called District Seven that um bordered that area and they had we had high numbers um, um, of purchases from those areas, which didn't have a lot of you know farmers' markets or uh, uh, fresh food stores that they could mm-hmm. they had the big they had the big box stores, but those big box stores was destination based and they weren't connected to transit oriented development mm-hmm. and right You needed a car to drive to so a lot of those folks that live living in those areas did not have cars so we we saw that demographic and we said all right let's hold down let's beat it down let's 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 flood those let's flood those markets we called those our markets amongst the bigger market. Um, and we said, all right, we, we know that 150 of our folks purchased seafood that month, blue crabs or oysters, or um, what we started doing, um, Tara, was we started doing plate. So if we had chicken or we had collard greens left over, if we had, you know, lettuce and radish and um, some of, a lot of the commodity crops, we created coleslaw, a chicken plate, kale greens. So, you know, you've got that finished product directly delivered to your door, and we had we found a way um, to do with the leftover leftover product that would have inevitably left on the shelf had nobody purchased it, and so we started seeing an uptick in numbers of people from that area that were purchasing plates, and so um, that was another another product sort of line that we put on that, and we called it our sustainable plates, but. The, because most of the products that we were cooking with was all organic, and we advertised and labeled it that way. This product is all, you know, organic. I,
0: so I don't know any other hub that has managed to do the level of complexity of the business model you have, and by that I mean you're doing, um, you know, meat, fish, and vegetables. You're doing home delivery. You're doing this all as an aggregated CSA. I mean, I guess you're close to the Bayfield um, Farmers Cooperative model. That would be close. Um, that would be the other one I would know. But this is a complex thing you're operating here.
1: Yeah, it's, it's it's complex in the sense that it has never been done before. But when you get when you get on the ground, you see that these these are all sort of intertwined and inextricably linked. And mm. so it was it was like. So when crabbing season started, you know, or when it right. ended December 25th, what are you going to do next? And so right. we, were adjacent, we were adjacent to the land. And so it was like, quite naturally, you farm the land.
0: So, um, uh, you've been having some crazy weather out in the southeastern part of the country, haven't you?
1: A lot of crazy weather. Um, in particular, rain. Yeah, rain has been a destructive force uh, for farmers and fishers. So mm-hmm. our yields um, are significantly down um, this mm-hmm. year due to the rain. Mm-hmm. And it's also um, teaching us, like, what do you do for you know eventuality such as this? Are we mm-hmm. planning? Are we um, you know doing Plan B um, as a result? And so. We got caught, um, you know, blindedly thinking that, oh, we're going to have a good season. We're not going to encounter rain. We're not going to, um, you know, encounter consistent amounts <laughs> of rain right. and falling. And it wasn't like one week. It was like eight days, nine days. And so yeah. it really flooded out uh, land crops and then even on the water. You know, we would usually do about... You know eight bushels a day and, and we're doing a half a dozen of crabs wow so, yeah those are that's so what, what
0: happens with the, the water up. is that just all the runoff or what what or do the crabs like go deeper when it rains or what, what how did why does that affect the crabs
1: the crabs do uh, go deeper. They bury themselves in the sand. Uh, uh, they, okay. So Crabs are very delicate. They're, crust- they're crustaceans. So,
2: mm-hmm. you know,
1: any tap of on the top of the bay, uh, especially Chesapeake Bay, they run and they hide. And so
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, all of that rain that's consistently hitting the top of the uh, bay
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, is, you know, alarming them to to be like, Hey, this is not good. Um, Mm -hmm. and then, you know, it could be a number of things to them. It could be, um, a water craft coming over top. It could be, you know, somebody that's fishing over top. It could be, you know, um, a tanker. So they are very, they're very sort of like meticulous when it comes to, um, things that are touching on the top of the bay. And so they're, you know, they run, they scatter just like, uh, just like any, Anything else that gets uh afraid by elements, yeah, so, interesting, um, yeah. But the runoff, the it's it's a combination of things of uh water runoff, it's a combination of accumulation and uh water directly hitting the bay. Mm. Um, and and it you know, it the bay is sort of contained, so it has its um you know uh, tributaries and its outlets, but those tributaries and outlets are but so big, and they abut housing development. Mm. So um, water levels rise at that point, and so they're rising to the levels of um, a lot of the houses. And so um, oh boy, closer, closer uh, as we call the upper shore, like Salisbury area, um, like Smith Island, Tangier Sound, um, they are, like a lot of the houses are about to come underwater. So oh in some instances... You know, um, families uh, on the Chesapeake in the upper shore um, have expe- have been experiencing flooding um, for some years now. And so, mm. um, you know, what, what will the Army Corps of Engineers do um, then to help out those um, families, water families that have been living there for years, businesses mm. that have been there for years? You know, businesses are closed right. up. Um, so that's a significant economic impact as well as a social impact to uh, so, the residents uh, and the folks in that area
0: right so has the water level I mean is this sort of a climate change thing that the water level is increasing already even before all this flooding I mean and this is not yeah. just to be clear it's not this isn't Florence right this was not Florence this wasn't our no, this is not yeah no, this is this
1: is not Florence this is natural you, you know. Natural occurrence. Yeah. Um, and anything um in addition to that. So like Florence, you know, rain mm-hmm. that is consecutive, that you know, attributes to that. It you know, it it adds um to that already rising water pump
2: mm-hmm. that's already rising. If
1: mm-hmm. those factors were um were not there. So mm-hmm. um Smith Island and folks in Christville, Maryland, they have been experiencing um, water coming at them, uh, I want to say for the last, uh, six or seven years or so. Mm, um,
0: okay.
1: Yeah. So, yeah.
0: It's, so so
1: say, it's not a new phenomenon.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's new, but it isn't. You know, like it didn't just happen because of an extreme event. I guess is what I'm saying. Right. So, are, yeah. are are is there talk of, of relocating people along the Chesapeake Bay because of all this?
1: There's conversations, but um, as as we all know, conversations that um, talk about or lead to eminent domain then from the government. And mm-hmm. right now we haven't, we, you know, we haven't heard anything um, from the government, um, mm-hmm. Maryland state government, that is. The Army Corps of Engineers have been engaged uh, with the communities. They have
2: mm-hmm.
1: been um, doing quote unquote studies
2: to mm-hmm.
1: um, see what's feasible. And I, I totally get it. I totally understand. But um, at the same time, um, water will be rising Families will be uh forced to have to act. And so mm-hmm. while you study while the government studies an issue for ten years.
0: Right. It's almost it's too late for the people, right? If they're already flooded. Right,
1: exactly. Businesses mm-hmm. will be displaced and it'll be another, you know, water tributary. But mm-hmm. you know uh, unfortunate for uh folks that you know mm-hmm. live there because they'll be displaced and uh nowhere to go and there's no plan. So Hopefully, the Army Corps of Engineers have some creative and innovative folks over at that mm-hmm. to be able to give some turnkey solutions to folks that are losing hope. Um, right. Um, that's uh, and, and that's all we know that the the Army Corps of Engineers they are engaged and uh,
0: mm-hmm.
1: we hope and I stress hope that they uh, find some uh, some real solutions for folks right. on the side.
0: So, um, you're such a visionary person, um, and we've been talking oh, about, you, uh, you are, um, and, uh, you know, we've been talking about um, resiliency in business models, and some of the things that you've been doing are are designed to do that. So, one of the things that I, I think this, this is kind of an extreme example, because of the fragility and uniqueness of the Chesapeake Bay is a you know, a basis for your business. It's hard to replicate that geographically, right? But right. but I talk to people about, about farming in an age of climate variability, and I... I, even here in the Midwest, we've we've had a terribly rainy, the southern part of Wisconsin has also had a terribly rainy summer. And, you know, when people are starting out their farms and they, they want to be hyper-local and, you know, serve local customers, and I say, well, you know, what are you going to do in a world where you don't know from one year to the next what's going to be going on? And if you are bigger, I really think, you want to build in, or even if you're smaller, build in a bit of geographical diversity, diversification, right? Um, By having some products that are coming from some other food sheds in a way or certainly different climate zones, right? And that could be like in Wisconsin, it's not there. We probably, we have like three climate zones in our state. So it's not like you even would have to leave Wisconsin. So have you been thinking about stuff like that?
1: Yeah, so we have been um, looking to scale up to uh, the entire Chesapeake Food Shed. And so the USDA considers the Chesapeake Food Shed um, 250 miles or the seven states, uh, parts of New York, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, Virginia, Maryland, D.C. and Virginia. Mm
2: -hmm. And
1: um, what we we focused uh, on was small farms. Scalability. Um, if those mm-hmm. small farms have an uh, excess of uh, products
2: mm-hmm. that
1: we can buy from them and then bring and process to our um, our facility, mm-hmm. and and give them a profit for their um, worth their uh, product, it's so a win win for both of us. And so right. what we did what we did was we we said. Well, that's gonna cost. That's gonna be, you know, very expensive to do because we're gonna have we're gonna need trucks, we're gonna need gas, mm-hmm. we're gonna need labor, we're gonna need, you know, a bunch of um labor intensive expenses to sort of uh carry this part of the scalability out. And what we did was we figured out that if we started providing um share draft checking, if we started providing share draft savings accounts, and we actually build and own the federal credit union, we can absorb a lot of those costs
2: mm-hmm. as well as keep a,
1: keep those profits running into the nonprofit. And so mm-hmm. we started a community development corporation called the Chesapeake Food Shed Development Corporation, which solely um, is that purpose to expand the logistics, the management of scaling up to get farm fresh produce from um, farmers in those seven Chesapeake, Virginia, states.
2: Um, mm-hmm.
1: um, you know it's 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 very labor intensive. We started with two two folks identified you know, two or three farms in each state, and we tried it out. We 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 tested our hypothesis, and it's working. And so, um, you know, all we can do now is continue to refine what's not working, almost like an algorithm or a, a, a beta on a map where, not a map, or app,
0: where, mm-hmm. you know,
1: the app is always improving itself. Because right. there's always bug But, you are you know, you have the back-end team that's always running um, virus protection software, always, you know, they are being creative and innovative in how we can improve. And so that's the approach that we're taking. How can we better improve the model? So that we can yield, we can yield maximum profit, and mm-hmm. so um, we don't. You know, again, we've. So got... So that's that's got,
0: separate from your business, right? I mean, from your hub. No, it,
1: it's 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 tied into the hub. So it's the nonprofit side of the
0: hub. Oh, it's the nonprofit side of the hub. I got it. Cool. Yep.
1: And so and so with the nonprofit, we wanted to do was because in the in a lot of the areas that we were supplying. Um it was low income poverty mm-hmm, for, sure not just African but rural, so you mm-hmm. saw african americans whites you know Asians you saw everyone in that demographic uh, chain that were you know at, that were suffering from the lack of food healthy food options mm-hmm. but more sustainable food options and so um we wanted to to we wanted to do more than just provide food, We said food can be the catalyst in which we provide um, a number of social economic resources, because if if we see a person, then we're, we're able to clothe them, we're able to house them because we have their attention. And so
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, that involves, you know, getting data, talking to our, our residents in the areas that we serve. And so um, that's what we've been doing, figuring out. What would, what would get you to, you know, purchase more locally sourced food? What would get you, mm-hmm. you know, to uh, uh, invest in more local farms? And so, folks, the, the, the major trend that we found out was access
0: accessibility. Mm. Interesting. And so if,
1: if folks have, you know, access to a, a, a fresh food um, market on a transportation route, a public transportation route, folks were more likely to incline to uh, patronize or purchase food from that local source. Mm-hmm. So that's what we're trying to do, to, to um, solve that problem for rural areas as well as urban areas. And, mm-hmm. and it is working. But it's working because we had um, the knowledge from the Food Finance Institute um, that you provided us that's that able to um, let us know we're going too far or we're going too slow or, you know, <laughs> we're coasting, mm-hmm. but it's a good coast. So we, you don't want to put a number of products or you don't want to uh, uh, put farmers on your supply chain that don't have um, resemblance to the, the, the population in which you're serving or the demographic
2: mm-hmm. demographic
1: on which you're serving. So, a lot of people get mad at me because I say you can't serve tofu to people that can't find chicken or rice right. or green beans on their table
0: Mhm, mhm, right. Well, no, I get it. I mean, we all eat what we'd like, you know what's culturally appropriate to us right i and yep. um, yeah, we all do that, so it makes sense. But- so that that has been a response to this, um, and it's helping with the geographic distribution of what you're doing, right? So, has that helped the the overall organization this year when you had so many local, you know, the rain locally?
1: Yeah, so it's it helped a lot, um, and it also the big the big takeaway from that what we learned was it's stymied waste, so we didn't have a lot of waste to access it, and then. Um, in the trucks or in the, uh, in the warehouses. And so you're able to, you know, really meticulously look at your purchase orders and say, this is what we need. This is, you know, not what we need. We can cut back some days. So you're more intending to, um, sort of, you know, the not being wasteful in spending or in products. So,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, I, you know, I think, it, a lot of tools in the bag, I, I say, mm-hmm. work, and again, you know, I, I hate to be tooting the uh, finance institute's horns, but if you don't have those tools, you know, um, you'll be lost. So having, again, having those tools that uh, the Food Finance Institute um, gave us, you know, helped us um, exponentially.
0: Mm hmm. Well, I'm I'm super glad to hear that. I mean, and what's interesting and what to me about what you just said about what you've been doing is, is uh, is uh, it's like the roll up the sleeves, not very glamorous stuff, right? Like figuring out what you have too much of, what you don't have enough of, what making good decisions about purchasing and about getting, you know, flow through the warehouse and, you know, that kind of operation stuff that's not very glamorous is not what people typically talk about, but it is actually what, right? What makes the business work or not work.
1: Yeah. And it goes down to your bottom line. Like you Mm -hmm. see a lot of, you see a lot of product that's going out the door or it's being, you know, discontinued because of waste or it's just sitting, like you really can like sort of assess what do I need to do in order to mitigate this liability or mitigate this mm-hmm. risk. And one of the one of the things that <laughs> we did was we went back to, like, we went back to school, you know, taking extension mm-hmm. courses on, you know, how to diversify or how to pasteurize crab meat. So um, we had a bunch of crab, you know, mm-hmm. left over hard shell crab leftover, And so right. we were like, what do we do with this hard shell crab? Because we're always, you know, we're throwing at least a good four or five bushels away. And so um, we got introduced to pasteurization. And so mm-hmm. pasteurization allows you to have that crab product sit on the shelf for about 18 months. And so wow. that then covered, you know, a lot of um, your bottom line because you mm-hmm. have money that's sitting on the shelf for eighteen months. And so
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, we 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 wasted no product, no crab uh, shell product this year, and we saved everything. And it's we we of the three thousand five hundred cases that we uh, we processed, we manufactured, and we processed.
0: Mm-hmm. We only had 10
1: cases, ten cases left.
0: Right, that's amazing. Well, and I'm and sure consumers started, like that too, and, and chefs like that too, because it's not so urgent for them to deal with it either.
1: Yeah, but it's also, but it's also knowing your numbers. So, right, you know, how many you know cases are being sold to this market, that market, or this particular restaurant? So you have to do you know the, those numbers again. You know, uh, weather changes a lot. If, mm-hmm. if it brings a thunderstorm, a lot of people aren't going to go into the restaurant and eat crab cakes. More folks are inclined to stay home. So, right. are people going to the supermarkets? And then, and it is your product in the supermarket? where you know, they even though they're having a the craving of a crab cake and they can't go to their favorite seafood restaurant that serves that crab cake, can they get into the grocery store? And so mm-hmm. that sort of that's where we are now um, mm-hmm. in, in our thinking. And that's why we moved to diversification and sort of value added processing. Cause you know, we had a lot of, a lot of the commodity product, but mm-hmm. a lot of the commodity product was being wasted, but right. a lot of that commodity product being wasted also impacted your bottom line. And so,
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, you know, that meant bait, um, that we needed cages, you know, it, it really showed a difference. And so, um, that pasteurization course really helped. So, um, diversification, but education, um, leads to profitability in my Mm -hmm.
2: book.
0: Yeah. 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 So, um, that's a great, great segue into what do you see coming for you guys in say the next year?
1: In the next year, we plan to do some collaborative partnerships and I know collaborative partnerships is, uh, uh, <laughs> it's not a good word in the competitive no. food industry, and so um, what we found is we have a loting we we have a lot of emerging food, young food or new food entrepreneurs. That may be old or baby boomer generation that retired and said, you know what, I'm going to take my stab into artisanal cheeses or artisanal foods. And so Mm -hmm. um, what we're doing is building out a platform, the Food Hub platform, to accommodate those new new and emerging businesses to actually sell their product either online Mm -hmm. or in our retail storefront. And so... Um, we are building uh, out of space so that we can retail local food, local pro- produce, local artisanal things inside of the market, as well as deliver them online. So mm. we—that's uh, in our future, as well as the community development corporation, so the nonprofit are um, right. um of uh, of our business, so that you know the profits that we make from the for profit can then go into the nonprofit to do our mm-hmm. social impact mission. And our social impact mission is to touch the communities in which we serve within the Chesapeake food Shed. And so, you know, being uh, the branch in Maryland and having its, or being the the, the rooted tree um, in Maryland and having our branches. Um, stem out uh, Mm -hmm. from Maryland throughout the Chesapeake food shade is where we're looking to go. So uh,
2: Mm -hmm. we're looking
1: to put more suppliers on those branches um, of our uh, food chain. We're looking for more, you know, farmers, young farmers, emerging businesses, folks that think outside of the box and are creative. And so Mm -hmm. um, we are taking several different models and um, trying them and working them out. Um, I'm back at the University of Maryland College Park at their Institute of Applied Agriculture
2: mm-hmm. um,
1: at the at the rec- recommendation of uh, Tara mm-hmm. um, the Food Finance Institute because if you really want to get if you really want to scale up you have to have that access to those resources that will allow you to scale up and the best uh, way to do that is getting with the research universities that's in the food space that'll that will be able to push me. So the University of Maryland Institute of Applied Act has introduced me to um, a lot of resources that uh, I can tap into as a student and as an entrepreneur to help me build out the food hub. And so they're sending us up to New York uh, at the end of October to talk um, with some entrepreneurs some and some angel investors um, um, to see how they started and see how they, uh, see how they did it. And so, that's sort of what's in our future, you know, building out this platform storefront as well as online platform for new and emerging uh, businesses, building out our community development corporation so that it can serve um, the needs uh, and solve the problems of the communities in which we serve
2: mm-hmm. and,
1: and, and continuing on um, the, the, the path of discovery, education and knowledge. And so, mm-hmm. um, and that's all attributed to the Food Finance Institute. They you guys out there have really um set a fire to a lot of the young people that was in that February class. And so um mm-hmm. you know can we we can't take it for granted that uh that that session um you know, w- w- we had that session because we got a lot of people don't understand the value of uh information and in, in that class we we definitely understood the value of information because we're still talking about it a uh, month yeah. later.
0: Yeah, well, that's that's an incredible amount of development to be going on. Are you going to be building out kind of uh, a management team to help you with all of this? Is that part of yeah, what's going to be coming?
1: We're going to be building out a creative management team. So mm-hmm. not big creative management team. We're thinking outside of the box. We're thinking outside of the box in terms of what are those positions that are needed for a new and emerging food hub or food mm-hmm. business or um, a farm-to-table business? Because okay. the old traditional president, vice president, chief financial officer, it doesn't work for our generation. It's, mm-hmm. not, it's stuffy it's old, it's nostalgic. And so, you know, we're looking at um, a structure that suits um, our demographic, our um, our farmers, our consumers, our fishers. Mm-hmm. and so yes. Yeah, we are looking um, at that. It's only two of us now, but we will be scaling up to four um, for the next planning um, for the next planning season. But mm-hmm. um, it won't be your traditional roles,
0: right? So, so and your um, your for profit is, is it? Is it structured as a cooperative? Am I right about that?
1: Yes. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yep. So yeah. So that's five twenty one k of the IRS.
0: Yeah and then um, then you have the the nonprofit um yeah because yeah. I think I think one of the things that's interesting me about cooperatives is um is because of the work that the that the members of the cooperative tend to do the the um organization itself can be a lot leaner in the beginning I think that's a, one of yep. the one of the real advantages of cooperatives um, and yep. until they get bigger and then people get tired of it and realize they really need, you know, permanent staff. Right. Um, when you get bigger, yep. but yeah. Organic
1: Valley is the perfect model. Mm-hmm. Organic Valley is the perfect model. They are, they are the model for food cooperatives. Newman's own. They are mm-hmm. another model that um, sort of inspired us to go, be to a food cooperative on the fourth class. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, to be the the for-profit side where we uh, continue to do custom development of what they want, so like the products that we generate. But Mm -hmm. the the Mm nonprofit would tackle the needs of the community. So if it's poverty, if it's housing, if it's Mm -hmm. education, if it's financial literacy, um, the Community Development Corporation will handle that because we don't – we don't just wanna seem like the big box stores that just set up in communities and expect mm-hmm. for folks to come to come into their doors and not give back. No, we wanna right. be able to set up, stay there, and then carry and transcend um amongst generations. Sort of like Procter and Gamble did or Johnson and Johnson
2: mm-hmm. and
1: a philosophy. They started out as a family company and now they're a multinational company, but they mm-hmm. they transcend over time.
2: Mm-hmm. And so
1: we want to be able to take uh 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 strategies from models such as um Johnson and Johnson and other food corporations like uh Newman Zone and Organic Valley and incorporate that into our um mm-hmm. new emerging food hub model. So no, we're not the traditional um um structure of uh of what a corporation is or um a, a food hub or a market. So Mm-hmm. We're very different. We're very creative. And and, and so inside, like the difference um, that I'll point out is our kitchen, our commercial kitchen where food truck vendors um, would be able to prep their stuff there, their, mm-hmm. their product, their daily product, as well as store. But it's also a place where folks in the community can also come and get hot, fresh, hot, fresh meals from the produce or the livestock that we've uh, broken down into added value meals. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We call it an added value kitchen. <laughs> added
0: value kitchen. Cool. And are, are you thinking about, where are you thinking of locating that?
1: So that would be in Prince George County. And Prince George County is an affluent African-American County in, in the state of Maryland.
2: Uh-huh. It's the
1: suburb of Washington, D.C. But okay. it also, it also suffered from um, a lot of high health, a lot of high negative health disparities. And so we want to be in that area so that we can start tackling some of um, those disparities Mm -hmm. um, and then branch out. Mm
0: -hmm, mm Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I'm exhausted just listening to all the stu- stuff you're working on, yeah, and I'm on top involved. of uh, <laughs> yeah, and on top of all that, you just had a baby. So I, I'm like in awe of everything you're doing, yeah. and yay, exactly. So we're we are going to stay in touch um, because I'm sure there's going to be a lot of new things happening um, if we check in with you again next year. So I'm yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm so glad you could find the time to get on the show with us and share your journey. It's fascinating. And um I I'll be talking and we'll be talking again soon.
1: Yes, thank you for having me, Terry. I'm really oh That's assistants about at the School Finance Institute
0: yeah thank you so much for for all your kind words it's it's inspiring for me to come and train people like you and um because it's people like you who are gonna change the world for bet for the better here so you keep working and we'll stay in touch okay
1: yes ma'am good talk. all
0: right yep bye bye-bye Thanks for listening. You can get more podcasts by subscribing on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And you can learn more about Edible Alpha by visiting our website at ediblealpha.org.